Today's episode of the Hot Forward podcast is sponsored by Niche Solutions. Enzybrew 10 is the all-in-one eco-friendly cleaning product from Realzyme, available now from Niche Solutions, and is proving popular with brewers, cutting costs as it works on biofilms as well as all the organic residues encountered during the production of beer. It's an enzyme-based powdered detergent rather than a traditional caustic-based cleaning solution and it provides an effective weapon against biofilms and brewery contamination. Enzybrew 10 is ideal for the deep, safe cleaning of filter plates, work coolers and maturation boiling and fermentation tanks. As a natural non-caustic detergent, it's safe to use alongside other cleaning products such as those which contain chlorine. And because it works at much lower temperatures, it's more energy efficient. Moving from traditional caustic to Enzybrew 10 is just a sensible solution all round for you and your brewery. To place your order today, head over to nichesolutionsgb.co.uk. That's nichesolutionsgb.co.uk. This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello astronauts of the Hot Rocket and welcome to another Hot Forward podcast. Over the past 46 weeks we've covered a diverse range of topics surrounding the beer industry from a whole variety of guests. Uh, We've talked about raw materials such as hops and malt and yeast. Haven't tackled water yet, might want to brace yourself for that episode. We've discussed branding, marketing and sales we tackled tough topics such as mental health and independence in the beer industry. And yet I find it hard to believe that so far we haven't talked about brewery vessels. If you're not in the industry yourself, just ask any brewer about stainless steel and brew house equipment and you'll find yourself quickly immersed in an in-depth conversation about steam jackets or water filtration systems or how many turns a pigtail should have. In fact, when I recorded today's episode with SSV Limited, who are based in offices above Kirkstall Brewery in Leeds, uh, James Campbell from SSV and Will Ingman, who's Kirkstall's technical brewer, showed me around their rather large, impressive brew house. Now, I like to think I know a fair bit about brewing and brewery equipment, but these guys, it was like, talking in a foreign language which I guess you'd expect given the pedigree they come from like marble thornbridge and cloudwater to say the least um I'll tell you what it was like go to youtube and search for how english sounds to non-english speakers by brian and carl and you'll get the gist uh, anyway brewery vessels there's so much to consider when making the right choices for you and your brewery what's my budget where would the money be best placed how can we increase capacity in our building How can we make the process more efficient? Which manufacturer should I go with? How automated do I want this process to be? And remember what it was like when you were new to the industry as a fresh-faced homebrew coming out with things like, I need one of these uh, woofers, you know, that attaches this bit to that. Oh, you you mean a female-to-male RJT adapter? Aye, that's, that's the badger, one of them. Exactly. Total minefield. And it can be quite overwhelming to know where to start. Uh, Fortunately, there are some good heads on shoulders out there, uh, two of which belong to James and Venks from SSV. As you've probably heard from previous episodes, SSV have been supporting the podcast. So massive thanks to those guys. But I want to get a more generalised take on brewery vessels on what a brewer should be considering when making those all-important purchasing decisions on where to invest their capital and even how they should approach purchasing second-hand equipment if they literally have no other option. Because, as I'm sure many of you are aware, building a brewery is a capital-heavy business and the machine is a very hungry monster to feed, uh, which makes it all the more impressive when you visit breweries with outstanding kit like Kirkstall, for example, and you think, man, somebody bought this. I mean, come on. Perhaps, like, I need to keep more friends with deep pockets or something. Um, 
But yeah, uh, it's such a great episode today. I think you really get a lot out of today's episode. I I certainly did. Uh, Before we get into today's interview, uh, here are some ways you can support the Hot 4 podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, Follow us on all the socials at Hot 4 Beers or visit the website at hotforward.beer and find out what we're about and how we can help you get ahead in your beer business with branding and marketing or brewery and business advice. Um, right, on to today's episode um, of Hot Forward with James and Banks from SSV Limited talking all about brewery equipment for you and your brew house. So I'm here at SSV Limited in uh, Leeds, in uh, above Kirkstall Brewery. Hi, Nick. Yes. With uh, James and Banks. So how's, how's it going, guys? Good, fine. Good enough, yeah. 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 Good enough, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your own backgrounds, like in the brewing industry, and, and a bit about SSB Limited and what your company does. Uh, do you want to go first, thanks? Yep. Um, so I came from Leeds Brewery. I was a head brewer at Leeds Brewery for 11 years. And before that, I'd done a master's in brewing and distilling from Harriet Watt. And this opportunity came up, so and I like being involved in project sites and more interested in like installations and those side of things so I just took up this opportunity and it's been great for the last one year. Happy days, great. Yeah. What about you James? Hey, well I started my brewing career uh, in the 90s working for the Firkins uh, and then uh, worked for a few of those, uh, moved to Ireland, worked for a couple of breweries over there, then I was at Marble for 13 years as head brewer and then I uh, set up uh, Cloudwater uh, with some colleagues uh, and uh, after that, uh, when I wanted to move on, uh, came here. Great. Today we're tackling the topic of brewery vessels and equipment. So um, obviously you guys got a lot of experience, you know, through working in breweries and, and now working here and, and seeing a lot of different um, brew houses that are out there. Um, what are some of the non-negotiables that a brewer should be deciding on when they're looking to purchase brewery vessels and equipment for their brew house? Stainless steel, clearly. Yeah. Uh, I think um, it's just the quality of the equipment is one of the big things and just is it fit for purpose mm. rather than just buying something that's just cheap and then you have to it's like throwing good money and bad a yeah. lot of times yeah and then there's like a lot of other things which people don't pay attention to like if there is enough services which includes water if you're going for steam glycol air and even if you're, if it's gas powered, is there actually enough gas coming into the building? Because mm. that cost could add up in future. Same with electricity as well. If, if you, have you got three phase power supply? Because people sign up for sometimes like units and don't realize that they haven't got adequate utilities coming in the building itself. So that adds <laughs> Which can cost you six months yeah. and an untold figure. Yeah. You know. And I think working at, I've only worked at one brewery, but one of the biggest thing is like having good flooring yep. and drains a lot of times water always runs away from the drains for some reason yeah <laughs> it's funny you say that because I remember talking to another brewery consultant who was um, he, he told me about one of his clients that wanted to up their capacity and so they were talking about getting more fermenters and stuff and um, the consultant said no what, what you need is two things a good floor and a cold liquor tank and he says those two things alone will help you brew more and it's like well I don't see how that can be because it's tank space that's the issue he's like no get a new floor and a cold liquor tank and I can guarantee you'll brew more and he, he did you know because it obviously spent less time trying to get all the you know the, the well there's more time for brewing if you're yeah, not uh, digging holes and filling them in again absolutely yeah absolutely um, I mean what what consideration should a brewer be making when it comes to purchasing a brew house and or upgrading their existing one because like as you said about the power thing like I think for a lot of people going into the industry what what should they be thinking about? They really need to think about the type of beer they're selling, uh, they plan to sell, uh, and uh, what their projected volumes are. Uh, that way you can determine the style of plant that you're going to buy, uh, you can determine the sizing of the plant you're going to buy. Yeah. Uh, beer range is also very important. You may need more smaller fermenters, you may need uh, fewer large fermenters, depending on what you're actually planning to do. Yeah. So it really depends on your individual business plan. Right. And yeah. what about people upgrading their brew house? So let's say you, you've got a, 
um, relatively successful breweries to this. We, we get a lot of different listeners, you know, yep. um, and they're, they're ready to take that next next step and get better equipment. Like, what, what sort of things should they be thinking of in terms of getting rid of their existing kit and then upgrading to something else? I prefer going for like a smaller size kit rather than if you've got like, for example, a 30 hectoliter kit, I'd probably just go again for the same 30 hectoliter kit, but a kit that can brew about eight times in a day. Mm. Because that way you can still maximize your output. But also if you say market conditions are changing and there's like demands are different in 10 years time, you can still brew smaller batches of beer. Because if you straight away went for a 60 hectoliter kit, you might have a problem where- You might uh, have to buy a 30 yeah. hectoliter kit to go years yeah, down do you think a lot of people have a, a, a quite a short-term mindset then in like oh crap you know it's kind of reactive mindset it's like oh crap I've got to do something now I've got to get that capacity up now I can't meet demand now wade in and buy something and then like you say they find that they've grown even more and then like you say well it, it's very difficult to predict the future nobody really knows if we did know we'd be in a government bunker somewhere you know <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a difficult thing to predict. Uh, I think people have to react to circumstance, obviously, but you need to build some contingency into that and uh, a bit of flexibility. Yep. So what should a brewer factor when they're making the decision from, from whom to purchase from? Good track record of the fabricator. Uh, that's very important. Uh, good quality materials. Uh, Traceability of the materials is quite important. Yeah. Uh, price point. Yep. Uh, and then I think the tech support that the customer can give as well. Because mm. a lot of times we would like give our customer a good amount of guidance as well, which is just comes in handy. Yep. Because I think sometimes you hear these horror stories. I mean, I, I know I've heard quite a lot of these um, in my travels of breweries that have lost deposits or, or vessels that have gone miss, missing, quote unquote, somewhere between China and here. Like, um, what other sort of bits of research should brewers be doing when it comes to manufacturers they're looking to purchase from? Uh, being insured, I think, if we're talking specifically about things uh, being purchased from overseas, uh, be insured. That's a really solid bit of advice. There. Yeah. So, uh, who would a brewery get? Who, who, which insurer? Like, who's who? They. Sorry, let me request that. Rephrase that. Um, so when you're saying getting insured, like who's who's doing the insuring? Is it the, the breweries using their own brewery insurance, or are they getting specific insurance for those kind of purposes? Or well, most a lot of the shipping on the seas is Lloyd's of London, really. Right. So uh, that's what goes on. Most uh, overseas suppliers uh, will want paying at uh, when it leaves port. Uh, not unreasonably because they need to know they're getting their money mm. as well they need to know that they're getting paid uh, yeah. I think so. it helps if you have say, someone like us we take most of the risk over there if a container goes missing in the sea and things because it's covered by our insurance and we all our kit is made by Louvay which is one of the largest manufacturers and they are, these are the guys who make equipment for the likes of the global brewers like Heineken, Carlsberg I think so they have good amount of reputation and things and they're not going to go bumped yeah anywhere. and over the last 18 months or two years we've also like learned a lot as to what we need to like the conversation we need to have with them to have a quality of kit that we are happy to brew ourselves mm. on them and I think with, like James said when you have we have to pay our factory before even the kit leaves yep. but we take that risk on behalf of the customer a lot of times yeah so it i think it works fine in that regards because it's all insured from our end yeah it's having the good reputable supplier in this country and we give you all the manufacturers warranties and things like that as well which are uk based warranties mm -hmm. if anything goes wrong so you don't have to keep dealing with someone about 10 hours time difference and things like that so, yeah. so when when you're dealing with suppliers from overseas then like how, how do you make sure your communication channels are, are, are you know really effective and no, nothing's lost, lost in translation and well uh, they're very good our suppliers I, I should yeah. state start with they're uh, you know they uh, I don't speak any Chinese 
But, uh, really, James? <laughs> I, thought, I, thought, I thought it was your native language. I thought you were really fluent in it. <laughs> I'm from Birmingham. No, no, they're very good. They're very helpful. Uh, they communicate quite effectively. Uh, everything is done uh, in writing mm. as well. So everything's emailed. There's yep. always a, a record. You know, uh, so it's like dealing with any other company, really. Right. Yeah. I think they're like pretty smart, intelligent people who've been supplying equipment globally, yeah. and we just like one f other customer for them, more or less. And we have constant conversations with them for every project that we do. We'll have co we'll have a team in the factory, and we'll constantly have conversations right from design phase all the way up to the point where it leaves the factory. Yeah, and then afterwards. Uh, yeah. So one of the other biggest complaints that I hear from brewers is that the manufacturers promised X, Y, and Z, but they've not delivered it, or they've only finished part of the job, leaving the brew kit unfinished. Like if, if a brewer finds himself in that position, you know they've paid the cash and to the to fabricate to the manufacturer. Like what what should they do next? Well, speak to the after sales team. Uh, would be the plan. Uh, yeah, I think we were discussing this the other day, and I think. The, the thing that came out was it's a, a lot of times the customers just don't read the terms and conditions and their quote. I think they just see nice pictures and like the co uh, bottom line cost and they say, yeah, we'll go for it. But there'll be terms and conditions which you can negotiate those saying like, yeah, we might, can we keep like the last 10% till you actually finish off work and things like that. But it's just how you <coughs> negotiate with your supplier a lot of times as well. Yep. And I think there's, as a supplier, it's in our interest also to go and finish off all the jobs because we don't want people to be just like... Mm. Well, we won't sell much yeah. if we have a bad reputation. That's the thing. Because everybody talks in the industry. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately here are these you know, manufacturers that, um, or fabricators that you know, just kind of wash their hands of it. I, I've delivered it, I've done my job, and they, they kind of wash their hands of it. And then the brewer's kind of like, well, I've, I've either lost a deposit or I've lost <laughs> you know, my equipment doesn't work properly. Like is if 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 they sign terms conditions, then there's not a lot they can yeah, do. Then but no, I mean, in most engineering projects, people retain a uh, snagging. Uh, so it'd be five percent, for example. Yep. So that uh, when the project is complete and signed off, that is you know uh, paid by the customer, and the customer has to be satisfied on you know the points that they've raised. Mm. Uh, that would that that would be the right way of approaching it. Yeah, I think. Uh, at the start of the project itself, it's always very good to know what is the scope of supply. Like for us also, it's handy for us to know that we are only supplying the brew house or we're doing yeah. this. Uh, so that way the customer is also quite clued up in terms of, yeah, I have to get chiller from this manufacturer and our kit finishes at this point and the chiller connects to that and things. So if, if all those bits are quite clear and transparent from the beginning, then mm. I think it's yeah, and quite. I mean, quite often for a large project, people will employ a project management firm, which is you know quite a sensible way to get the thing. You have one point of contact. If something's wrong, you talk to them. They sort it out. Yep. And it's not cheap, yeah. but it's a, a service service worth paying for if you can afford it. Yeah. I think if, and when you see our quotations and everything, it does make it quite clear what instrumentation is being supplied, what is not being supplied, and things like that. And once you say, yeah, we want to go with it, you get issued these uh, PNID drawings, which also detail out every bit of piping that is going where it's going yeah. and things. I mean, so that's I think, our step yeah. of supplies, our PNID. Yeah, so oh, okay. I think when, if the customer is in doubt, it's best to ask the questions. I think every supplier will help you out if you ask the right questions. They're not trying to hide anything. Mm. When purchasing equipment for the first time or upgrading a brew house, how should a brewer compare quotes between suppliers, especially if like the different manufacturers don't agree on the different tank sizes that are needed or you know, one will say you definitely need this and the other will say no you don't need that. How do they compare those quotes? Well, <laughs> that, that's quite a, quite a broad question, really. I mean, ideally, like anything else, you want to compare like for like. Mm. But quite often with a brewing project, you're not being offered like for like. Yep. You're being offered somebody somebody one style of plant against another style of plant. Uh, do your research, really. Yeah. I think if, as a customer, if the first point is like, if you are clear as to what you want, 
what is your final aim what kind of product that you want to brew and what is the volume that you want to brew and then every supplier might approach it in a different way but then it's your choice at the end to pick the, as long as you're getting your final product and final volumes that yep. you've asked for it doesn't really matter what you think so because like we believe in sometimes like i said earlier building smaller size brew houses to make but continuously brew on it some suppliers might say no you might as well go for a bigger brewery because that way you can just brew one batch and you've got enough beer but i think we think our side of things work a lot flexible yeah uh, so. can, can you talk us through um the advantages and disadvantages of electric direct gas fire and steam powered systems uh, uh, electric uh, if you're i mean you're this is for work boiling yeah yeah uh electric is uses huge amounts of energy uh the uh not the cheapest yeah, and well i mean it's the cheapest to install but yeah, it's not to run not to run and it gets even more expensive when the elements pop and make your uh Make your beer taste like ranch beer. Yep, been there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is you know it's it's lost time, it's lost materials, uh, and it, it's just generally not very good. But you know the the advantage of that is that uh, it costs very little to install. Yeah. Because uh, some as as you know pair brewers with lots of technical knowledge, like sometimes you hear these debates online about whether um, you get caramelisation of your work through the heating elements like is that like it's a thing it's a thing but uh some people like that you know it depends if you if you want a beer with a uh, caramelized uh character to it uh then all well and good uh but that won't that won't do you every style of beer yeah you know <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as long as you have constant movement not by on the gas fired or be it electric if there's not enough movement in the kettle that's when you get like loads and loads of caramelization yeah but again i think there are brew houses up to a certain size it might be just a sensible option to just put electrical elements rather than yeah. going for steam because the steam side of system might be more expensive than brew house yeah yeah also uh, as soon as you're into electrical elements or gas train burners with a coil yeah. uh, you have uh, a big cleaning issue it means that you are instead of a quick CIP or a quick blast down uh, you're getting in uh, you're cleaning it manually uh, you've got uh, nooks and crannies where you can get a build-up of uh, sediment yeah. and uh, sort of burnt on bits which uh, are then a pig to clean off uh, it's always a trub on the gas yeah. elements, like gas coils inside yeah. the kettle. It's the underside. Yeah, it's just always that, the underside just, because just CIP that, never yeah. cleans over yeah. there. <laughs> no, uh, although peroxide works quite well yeah. on that kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Steam is it's, it's the most flexible way of getting energy around a building. You know, it's, uh, it's very useful like that. Uh, it's a very efficient heat transfer. Yeah. Uh, and it, it can be controlled depending on the pressure of your uh, either jacket or your uh, we use external work boilers uh, for our for, for most of our projects uh, depending on the pressure you've got a different uh, temperature interface yeah this is for steam right yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's just taking out another element from uh, so if you have a hot water tank or a kettle if you put jackets on them if the jacket fails the whole tank might need replacing but if our heating is done externally like on a heat exchanger or an external world boiler it's easier to replace that rather than yeah that having can be brought in a lot yeah. quicker than a new tank mm. and, and obviously steam gets you know you can get to temperature much quicker yeah mm -hmm. with, uh, with with steam i remember and the first time i ever heard how quick um a neighbor's in sheffield his brew came to uh to temperature i was like oh, how fast you know i'm waiting like you know sometimes nearly two hours on a on a full you know on a full brew and he's there like seven minutes or whatever no, it was crazy I, it's been about five years since i last had to wait for a boil yeah, yeah so. we, we had um, like the first brew kit that we had it was gas fired but i think the the problem again over there was the amount of coil that was inside the kettle there was not enough heating surface so that's yeah. why we were waiting for like 55 minutes for it to get to boil so all your energy is yeah. going out your chimney yeah so when we upgraded the plant and put a better heating system it's still gas fired and it would take only like about 10 minutes to come to boil at the end of the runoff so mm. it's all depends on how well it's designed and things like that yeah. a lot of times so what, what so what about direct gas 
finance systems? Like, what are the advantages and disadvantages of those? Uh, well, I mean, it's as we were discussing just now, really. Uh, it's very similar. Uh, the cost of running is not like I mean, it's higher than staying. It's yeah, I think it's just like the initial installation cost is not as expensive. Because no, but I mean, you install install a uh, one of those. Uh, Coils inside. Coils yeah. that's, that's a few grand. They're not cheap, you know, and it's a, a fairly serious piece of metal. Yep. Uh, but mm. then, if you want to whirlpool, uh, really, you should do it in a separate vessel. Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I mean, I have seen uh, gas trains uh, and gas burners that you that have whirlpooled effectively in that vessel, but I think it's kind of luck of the draw. Right. Really. Yeah. It's. It might work. It might not work. Yeah, yeah. And so. Uh, yeah, for work separation with pellets, yeah. uh, then yeah, you need a separate vessel, so that's another cost. Uh, I think you have energy cost being added every point in the brewery that way, because then you have your kettle with gas fire, maybe the hot water tank is also that. But then if you're doing keg washing, cask washing, that's going on electric or has its own steam generator or something. So sometimes overall, if you work out, it might be beneficial to have just one source of heating it might be steam it might be we're also we've also done breweries which has got thermal fluid and thermal fluid the advantage of that is you don't need to have pressure rated uh, vessels and things like that and the ewb doesn't need to be pd certified either because everything is in working at atmospheric pressure mm. so yeah. that, that's quite handy i think james commissioned that plant and uh, box car yeah that was good that's, yeah. uh, it's certainly very effective yeah. in terms of the getting things up initial to cost might be a bit higher than a steam boiler but the I lifetime it's more efficient I yeah think it's more energy efficient i think the lifetime running is a lot better on it and i think you might get grants for it for all you know i, th I, I think, think there are grants but i can honestly tell you uh, Another thing with uh, direct fired uh, is that I've had some issues in the past with some of the systems I've worked on about uh, making sure that the uh, that the uh, gas regs are met, you know, making mm. sure that your uh, carbon monoxide levels are uh, down at the right level and getting a, setting the setting the burners to a, an effective level so that it actually boils and keeping the carbon monoxide down enough and it's all about getting air supply and that can that can then be a uh, a complex thing uh, because quite often these things aren't as aren't particularly bespoke whereas the steam boiler is is a steam boiler yeah you know it's uh, thoroughly tested and uh, Manufactured as such, mm. I know. guess you can really go down the rabbit hole with all the technicalities, can't you? Yeah. You know, and it, it, going down the rabbit hole with technicalities takes time out of your project. Yeah, yeah. you know. I think if uh, you get get your gas burners from a reputable supplier, one of the best ones I've ever used was Landmark. And oh, they're very good. Yeah, they are expensive, but they're expensive for a reason because yep. they are good quality burners and they come and install it everything and if you get them to service it once a year you've always got decent equipment mm. basically working so there are benefits to it it's just like well, steam I've, I've now been converted to steam I think it's <laughs> just the best way to run the brewery a lot yep. of times because it helps with your packaging side as well and if you're going to uh, I mean steam you can use as one energy source uh, so you can use if you're if you're using uh, an MCV rather than a mash ton, uh, mash conversion vessel, you can get that temperature step mash. So you need that heat source. Yep. Uh, you can also use it to heat your hot liquor through a heat exchanger. Uh, so it's, it's versatile. Mm. Obviously, brewery hygiene is utterly paramount in providing great quality beer. Um, I mean, what sort of CIP system should a brewery be putting in place to ensure everything from their hot liquor tanks to their packaging lines are kept scrupulously clean? One design for the job, I think, is... Uh, mm. it's, yeah, it's the f when you design CIP, <laughs> you need to have the correct pipe work, size yeah. pipe work and the flow rates. Flow rates are the most important thing yeah. when you do CIP. Yeah. If there is not enough uh, pressure and things, it's just never going to clean it. Yeah. You need to... Uh, your spray bowl needs to yeah. be sized yeah. uh, for the tank. I think the most basic kit, but with a good, uh, like an SOP for it, will work very well, as long as people pay attention to it. 
because most most of brewing is you're basically cleaning, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm making so, sure. I mean, there's also pipework design, I'm making sure there's not much in the way of dead legs, and that if there are dead legs, they are taken care of. Yeah, you know, and the specific design of your CIP routine uh, matters a lot. Yeah, you know, so that it's properly yep. thought through and that everything actually is getting clean rather than 99% of it apart from a, a festering pocket of uh, filth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> now, there are many brewers out there, I'm sure, using old or dodgy equipment literally held up by pieces of string or stuck together with, with gaffer tape. Like, how, how far can you doctor an existing piece of kit and, and when should you bite the bullet and look to replace it all together? I think if you're spending more time fixing it than you are brewing on it, you're probably better off buying new. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you can only polish things up so far. Uh, and so if, is it every time you make certain modifications to the tank and things, is it actually safe to use the equipment? It might look safe now. Is it going to be safe in like a month's time? Yeah. What if you have an accident and things like that? So I think you just need to be quite careful. If it is held together with gaffer tape, yeah. uh, you have to consider the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the safety of your employees yeah. and of yourself. You yeah. know, it, it, because it's simply not worth it. Mm. Unfortunately, though, it's a sad reality. Yeah. It is, I know. You know, uh, well, yeah. And, um, uh, and I think in terms of like replacing it all together, it's, again, as we said, about safety side of the equipment is the most paramount thing. You just we just need one bad accident to happen, and then suddenly all legislations will come in and things yeah. like that. Yeah, and they'll come Unfortunately, down that's the reality of things. Yeah. But yeah, is everything costs fair bit. Uh, I think people are not paying that much attention at times. I find. Yeah, and uh, I'm pretty sure it doesn't wash with the judge. Um, I'm sorry, Your Honour, but uh, cash flow was really bad. I could only afford Gorilla Tape this week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to wear it. No. Um, so, okay, let, let's say there's a brewer list to this in that position um, that they're like, you know, I really need a, a, a better brew kit. But for a lot of breweries, it's not like they're rolling in the readies yeah. <laughs> to, to pay for it. How should a brewery go about financing decently made equipment, especially if they don't have like those access to those vast reserves of capital to fund an entire brew house? If you have a decent business plan, you have decent sales and you have uh, decent projected sales, asset finance. Asset all, finance should yeah. do it. Okay. Yeah. And these days, I think at the minute at least, credit is available quite cheaply as well for businesses and things. So, then the best model, like James said, if you have a decent business plan and you can prove that you can hit all the targets and things like that. So mm -hmm. I think good. Basically, the better your business plan, the lower yeah. your uh, interest rate. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes people start right from scratch. They might not have the proven track record and things, but in that case, it's best to find again put a good business plan and find some investors or something like that yeah uh, it can be quite hard or like we were discussing before look into doing initially contract brewing a lot of brewers have started that way of doing a bit of contract brewing initially get their products out into the market yeah well i mean i'm a yeah. i'm a big believer in in testing the market yeah. and testing a brand testing a business idea rather yeah. than just wading in yeah. and bu buying a load of equipment because i think there are brewers out there particularly ones that have started over maybe the last five years passionate home brewers they see craft beer for want of a better word taking off they're like yeah you know i'm, I'm gonna buy some equipment and i'm gonna i'm gonna go pro man and then you know it's, it's all starting to fall to pieces because it's like they've not got business skills there was no business plan um, yeah. and, and any of that and, and, and that's you know that's really sad isn't it yeah. well I, yeah. I think you know the, the discipline of actually writing a business plan which will take a lot of people out of their comfort zone uh, is just a very useful thing to do to, te to stress test your own business before you start yeah you know even if it's just proving it to yourself yeah I know with a, a business I was trying to set up um, writing a, a business and financial plan the figures didn't stack up and I took it to my business mentor and was like, I really want to do this, but on paper, the worst case scenario, which is that I don't sell much, much of the product, it's not stacking up. And he was like, and he said to me, you've done the right thing in knowing now that maybe this is not the right time for it, the right model for it, because there's no point waiting in and spending a load of cash on a hunch if the figures don't stack up. And he said, you know, most people don't push themselves to that point of being uncomfortable and of facing the brass tacks and the realities 
because that you know that they've got this really you know rose tinted spectacle idea that it's all just going to magically work out oh things just work out but they don't just work out you know you've got to work no, to make them work out yes you do. It, um, it is hard i think so if if something works really good in a homebrewing scale will it work similarly well at a commercial scale as well in terms of the cost of production and things and suddenly a cask of beer or a keg of beer gets cost of it gets through the roof and there's so much competition nowadays and people are trying to undercut each other all the time so can it stand that test of times as well so yeah and, and i think you know if, if your business model and your costings don't allow for you to take home a wage i'm yep. not talking like oh, i'll pay myself 400 pounds a month I'm talking like an actual living wage yep. then you can to lose interest after five yep. years so you can to lose interest after five years well, yeah you know no one wants to be paid 400 pounds and scrat around for and with nothing to eat you yeah. Know? yeah working for like 15 16 for hours dinner. yeah <laughs> 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 it can get just depressing towards the end of it for all you know like if you're just at the brewery like 15 16 hours a day and trying to make it work work and work but it's just sometimes it just gets so hard yeah absolutely if, if it comes down to it and a brewer's got no other option than to purchase equipment secondhand like you know they, they it, maybe they're starting out they, they've not got much of a business plan in it but they're determined to go for it and, and there have been breweries that have become successful that have done this like wh what should they be looking out for when, when they're scrolling for like CBA classifieds or whatever like when when they look for a piece of kit what should what questions should be asking well there's the provenance of the plant you know where it's come from uh, does it work <laughs> has it been used and shown to be uh, working and uh, make sure to see the plan before it gets decommissioned to see if it's working yeah. actually and see what equipment you're getting and do not rush into it make sure once you know what equipment you're getting go back to your site make a few phone calls see what else is required to install it because sometimes after you buy a second-hand equipment you might have saved a good few thousands of pounds by the time it comes to you, the installation cost and, and everything will rack up to a point where you would be like, oh, if I'd paid like an extra five, ten grand, I would have got brand new equipment. Because yeah. I mean, it's not always the cheapest, cheapest. way. Mm. Uh, yeah, it is. I think there's a lot of such instances where you have had to, like, when we were discussing earlier, having to upgrade all the utilities and things like that because, and you're trying to make everything fit in your building because you found second-hand equipment and that way it'll just rack up on costs and yeah. prices a lot of times mm. you can buy good second-hand kit but you just have to make sure that you always get an independent advice about the kit as well yeah rather than just going there getting excited about it and just I suppose it's like buying a car, isn't yeah. it? You know, my dad knows loads about cars. So whenever I bought a car, I take my dad with me. You know, because it'll look under the bonnet and be like, "That's that needs replacing. That looks crap." And yeah. to be like, "Oh, he's so sh I don't know anything about cars. Oh, he's so shiny." Yeah, <laughs> but you, I mean, you can employ a brewery consultant yeah. here for a for a fee. Will uh, tell you whether it's worth having or not. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's just that small amount that you spend over there might save you a lot more in future. To be honest, mm. but again, it's easy for. Um, particularly who are more wet behind the ears with business to look at the upfront figure and not think about the long-term gains they'll get from spending more now um, because they see the cash flow thing of oh, I'm on a limited budget well if I'm, if I'm getting these they'll see it as an added extra or a non-necessity the necessity is the kit rather than it being like no the necessity is that you've got a sustainable business long term that's going to yeah. be cost-effective that's going to give you the most profitability not getting your tank now um, so yeah it's I guess it's things like that you know yeah. getting in a consultant to, to look around and point out it's point out the issues because it's always good to have a fresh pair of eyes yeah cast, you know look over something and I think before buying a bigger brewery and things you should always just check are you double brewing every day are you running two shifts every day or night? and are you brewing at least like in five days are you brewing at least nine times a week before trying to just buy a bigger kit just because you want to go back to working like one shift and things like that yep. and you think you're spending most of the time in the brewery and things. So mm. I think sweating your plant is the most important thing to do before you upgrade to a bigger kit. Yeah. What are the advantages and disadvantages of some of the different fittings then like RJT or tri-clamp or DIN and how do you decide what's the right fit for your brewery? I, I personally like uh, tri-clamp. Uh, 
I, it's more hygienic largely because it's you know you have to put in a sterilised uh, gasket every time it's the most hygienic fit in there is until you drop it and you always drop it you have to have a jug full of yeah. uh, Sterilised yeah. uh, gaskets with you. Need you. three hands to put them yeah. together. Yeah, I've, I've, I've just started using triclamp. I'm just yeah. like, this is bloody annoying. You know, I can see the advantage of it for, for sure. I'm just like, so annoying. I've a former colleague who could do it all with one hand. She yeah. could just wow. slip it on, get the hose on, then flip the clip round. That's yeah, really I was working quickly. with a brewer who was exactly the same. He just put it on and just flick yeah. it and just goes on with it. I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty magic, isn't it? I'm yeah. not like that. I could yeah. do it with about five hands to do it. With, um, I think with RJT and then you've got the issues of also the threads on like the fittings which if you're not careful enough in cleaning and things you always have the amount of brewers you go and you see yeast, dried yeast on it and things like that just have to be very careful with cleaning it. Yeah. Yeah. I think as long as you clean everything properly it should be fine. Yeah. 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 How should a brewery decide on what size brew house you know in hectoliters or barrels or whatever um, you know what they should go for um, you know, because like I said, I've seen breweries burst onto the scene with amazing equipment, you know, all singing, all dancing, and it's huge, but then they can't sell enough beer <laughs> that they've been creating on this all singing, all dancing equipment. It all goes back to having a proper business plan and yeah. knowing what you're going to need yeah. and uh, putting in the right pace for the job. Yeah. How can a brewery up production and increase their output when they've got limited space and capacity in the building they're in so they don't have the option to move? It's what we said before in terms of having the, cause just a brew house which can brew a lot more beer. That's why I think we, we always recommend going for either a three vessel or a four vessel brew house because you can stage uh, brews behind each other. That way, like the first brew might take six and a half, seven hours to go, but after that, every three hours, three you've hours. got a new batch coming through. Yeah. And the more vessels you have, the yeah. more rapidly you can cycle. Yeah. Uh, that way, the only way you need need to expand after that is just add more FVs. Yeah. So we obviously we looked at a lot of essentials in, in your brew house. Let, let's talk about some of the uh, quote unquote nice to haves. Like what equipment do you think a brewer can add to their arsenal that might not be a necessity, but can bring about just that something extra to their beers? I think um, a lot of times when the whirlpools are designed, I think it's not designed well enough to sort of take the amount of hops that you add to it and things like that. No, and well, correctly designed whirlpool. Yeah. I mean, quite. It, it's very hard to say because there's quite a lot of things that I regard as essentials yeah. that some people regard as an optional, you know. Mm. So uh, having, you know, something fairly simple like uh, a basic lab set up and yeah. a, a pH meter to hand and a yeah. microscope to hand, they, to my mind, they are essentials. Yep. Uh, yeah. You can make beer without them. There are plenty of people do, but uh, I think I've been good lab is uh, like so that you can measure everything correctly and things, mm. so that you have repeatability of every system again and again yep. and again. That helps, and maybe uh, auto grain discharge and things yep. like that. I think happy brewers always end up making good beers, probably. Yep. So if yep. you keep brewers happy, <laughs> yeah. Well, anything that's going to stop you uh, doing uh, futile work. Uh, you know, so that things are well laid out, so that you actually can get to the business of brewing and concentrating on making good beer, mm. uh, as opposed to uh, working out how much uh, have you got enough hot water to finish the day, yep. and all that kind of thing. You know, yeah. uh, basically having. They, they um, yes, you can make beer without these things, but uh, you'll uh, you'll struggle. Yeah, I think if you these kind of things take stress out of day to day brewing. Yeah. You can concentrate on making good work. Uh, yeah. One thing we don't sell, uh, packaging lines, having the right packaging line for the job, something that's sized adequately and effective and of high quality makes yeah. all the difference in the world. What would you say to brewers who say, oh, you know, you, you don't need great kit to make great beer? Because they are out there. Well, they're right. <laughs> you don't, but it's a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, good quality kit might give you repeatability in terms of the same type of word produced every time because yeah. the yeast doesn't know what it's fermenting they, it's just an organism which is just chewing through all the sugar so as long as it give you the correct conditions every time mm. it is going to just do the same work again and again which mm -hmm. it's if you have decent enough kit you can 
produce if you've got enough control so, on yeah. it, yeah, it can produce and it more consistent. There are some product. simple things for that you can have is just like having decent liquor blending. So it doesn't need to be automated, but having an option to blend the liquor so that you have the correct accurate strike, yeah, temperatures. Accurate strike temperatures every time, measuring the amount of water that is going in. Just a basic flow meter will tell you so that you always put the right amount of water. So every time you have everything repeatable, you will produce decent work. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be very shiny. Um, with uh, a flow meter, having it automated, you put in the numbers and it works. Yeah. Uh, I have done this completely the other way in previous roles where I've uh, basically taken hose and a uh, simple ball valve and uh, put tap water into the line uh, for hydration and we've, you know, we've, it, it's worked, but it's a lot of work. Yep. You know. I think a flow meter is a good piece of kit to have. And I remember in the past having to use a dipstick inside the fermenter to measure how much wort you've got. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. But it did work. Yeah. It did work. There's no harm in doing it. It does work. But I think if as you long have... As sterile. Yeah. If you, you have to just be careful how you do it and everything. It's and, and it's quite tricky when it's a big fermenter as yeah. well. You know. I dreamed of having a flow meter at the last brewery. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was just that, that you know, that, that would have been like so nice. Particularly when I was calibrating the kit, so I had to like literally with the, a jug like five liters, ten liters, and then get the stick and measure it off and yeah. redo everything. And flow meat would have just been like sweet. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And I think well, when you're putting flow meter as well, just you just have to make sure that it is again the right kind of flow meter for the job. You don't want to put a turbine flow meter when it's handling wort and things. Maybe it might be all right for water because you're going to boil everything off later on. Yeah. But an electromagnetic flow meter where there's no bowing parts inside is far more hygienic yep. to use with wort and you can guarantee it's getting cleaned properly as well. Yeah. So as engineers and installers then of, of, of brew kit, like working with brewers from all over, what sort of things are you looking out for when you visit a brewery and, and audit the, the space and the brew house so you can advise them accordingly? It's mainly infrastructure. Really, I mean, the height of the building uh, makes a huge difference. Uh, I mean, can we get a plant yep. in there? Is is the thing? Uh, can you get a plant in? You can get a decent size fermenter in, uh, flooring, uh, obviously gas supply, electricity supply, drainage. Uh, yep. These are all sort of uh, basics, really, that you need you need to have in place to know whether you can. I mean, you can often walk into a building and see. Well, you can see the zero stack up on the uh, right. we're going to have to spend, <laughs> you know, uh, to put it in a, the right condition for brewing and a basic level of hygiene in the building as well. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I think sometimes you just point people to the right direction, saying maybe you should try this; it might work, and this and that. It's what they call the nudge theory, isn't it? Just showing them, mm. it, and then just they just go ahead with it and make it work for them, sort of thing. Have you ever had to turn around to somebody and say, "I, I don't think you put a brewery in this building"? Uh, yeah, I have. Not in this role, but uh, yeah, yeah I have done in previous roles. Yeah, because it can get quite a bit yeah. of a headache, isn't it? If you get a brewery and you know it's not going to go in suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> With the amount of new UK breweries opening starting to slow down, like wh where do you see the future of beer in the UK, and and how do you think that will affect being in the business of beer in general, in particular a business like yours? Well, I think uh, quality will out. Yeah, uh, quality and consistency. Yeah, consistency uh, is the most important thing. I think mm. we've got a more educated uh, drinking public uh, in terms of uh, knowing what they're drinking, and uh, I mean, there's small small groups of people who are very specific about off flavors and all the rest of yep. it. You know that, you know, uh, so poor product. Uh, won't get consumed as readily yep. as, uh, as, it, as it, you know, potentially has been in the past, you know, uh, and people providing high quality product consistently uh, will continue to succeed. Uh, I think that's pretty much it really. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the quality and consistency is the most important key and the way to achieve it is have good brewers and I think these brewers need to start like doing things 
because there's so many resources that you can go to like you can do stuff from ibd and things like that just having basic amount of knowledge from there because every time you read something you learn something new mm. over there which helps to improve you can quality and things as well yeah in your own brewery and i know currently the trend is probably to have a new beer every time but i think at the end of the day you always need also one flagship product which will i think pay for you to do as many new different products as you want at the back of it and that flagship product always has to be of consistent quality it can't be of different taste every pub that you go to yeah absolutely so um just before we finish we've got some listener questions um so bullhouse beer says um here's a question so hop, hop torpedoes or hop guns for dry hopping with a diaphragm pump what what should you look for in terms of design spec he's heard varying reports from excellent to useless depending on which supplier which sort of put, puts him off for, for going one uh, well it depends on how much you're dry hopping uh, I mean, again it, it very much depends on the product what your method of dry hopping is uh, I wouldn't if you're going to dry hop in the middle of fermentation I wouldn't use a hop torpedo because it's simply going to or a hopinator uh, as it's called it's simply going to clog up uh, with yeast yeah uh, so you need to be under about uh, 10 million cells per mil. You need to be at a conditioning cell count for it to be effective. Yep. Uh, having the right pump for the job, uh, whatever that may be, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, loading it in such a way that all of your hop gets slurried. Uh, and these are often things that need sorting out on the floor. Right. Rather than uh, in advance, you know, with your own particular setup. Yeah. Uh, and uh, making sure that you've got fermenters that will, uh, y you've got the right number of connections on your fermenters to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's something that basic, but uh, you need somewhere for the beer to go, you know. I think a mistake people make is if a hop gun, hop torpedo, whatever it is, if it says it's for um, rated for 50 kilos, people think you can put 50 kilos every time. It is completely dependent on the variety I was talking to one of the brewers and she said to me the best way to check how much you can add in it is take some pellets, put it in a cup, put some hot water on it, see how quickly it dissolves. If it disperses out very quickly that means you can feel that much more in your hop gun or hop torpedo or whatever it is. If it takes a long time to disintegrate in that hot water itself that means you shouldn't be packing your hop gun to Put like it in it's the instead. Yeah. That means uh, so, I mean you, you don't you can't really go with the pellets which are not disintegrating very yeah, rapidly. Yeah. And the you whole can tell maximum. by feeling them on some pellets are just crumble it in yeah. your fingers and yeah. you know they're lovely and sticky and others mm. are you know like really hard. Like, like rabbit food. <laughs> yeah exactly that. Yeah. yeah. So we've uh, got a Gregor Leckie, he runs um, a soft drinks company says do, do tanks exist which hold five bar pressure keep below five degrees and which are able to recirculate on themselves uh, yes they can be made yeah. they can be made i think it all depends what whatever pressure rating you need can be made it's just the stainless steel thickness gets it gets thicker it gets and thicker. thicker i mean yeah it probably costs you more and it probably when and it comes down to your high rated uh anti-vac valves yeah yeah and all the rest and of it, all the insurance and everything also on them and for yeah. your building would be quite high if you yeah. in short yes yeah. but they cost more okay yeah because if uh, you've got like boilers and things that run at yeah. which is like more more or less like a steam tank isn't yeah it? So well steam vessels from yeah. the steam uh, boilers run up 10 bar yeah so i'm sure it can make vessels at five bar it's fine yeah uh stephen o'connor says any plans on selling slightly smaller kits like brew pub pilot from five to ten barrel well we have the ss brew tech uh, and uh, we're working on a couple of projects where we are looking at slightly smaller, smaller plants. plants yeah, yeah. We, I think we are looking at doing 15 hectolitre which is about 10 barrels yeah. and, and I'm sure once we do that we can scale it down I think we're just doing it one step at a time rather than just going straight to a small realistically plant. below yeah. that having a, a four vessel plant is not cost effective for the yeah. customer but I think the SS Brew Tech ones might be the, a good option for yeah. like the pub breweries and things. And they're like 120 litres, is it? Yeah, but we've got different sizes. I think there's one American barrel, there's three American barrels, and yeah. there might be a five one as well. Which yeah. is, I think one American barrel is probably 75% of a British yeah. barrel. Or um, Do you think SS Brew Tech will make a 
like a, a, a homebrew sized or nano sized like hot rocket? <laughs> Uh, no. You never know what. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Never say never. So just, yeah. yeah. I, mean, it's a, it. I think hot rockets and everything is just basically a, like a stainless steel candle filter inside a pressurized vessel, yeah. isn't it? So I'm sure you can make a smaller candle yeah. <laughs> filter to go in. <laughs> Colin Strong says that if you were a forest creature, which one would you be and why? <laughs> <laughs> James, you can go first on that. <laughs> Colin Strong already knows the answer to that. Oh, <laughs> Enlighten the rest of our listeners. <laughs> They're all dying to know. I've no idea. Come here. <laughs> Probably badger. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's, that's your badger. <laughs> um, oh, hang on. Wait. Here we go. Here's one, one more question from Alex uh, from Full, Full Circle Buco. Um, what What one piece of equipment should a brewery never scrimp on? Coffee machine. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, there are many. But yeah. one piece. For, for me, uh, fermentation, quality fermentation. Yep. Uh, if you have infected product, uh, no matter the quality of the work you make, uh, if your product's infected, uh, it's not going to be good. Microscope. A good microscope and a deometer, maybe, if you can afford one. A good microscope. Brilliant. Well, th thanks for being on the show today in uh, your utterly lovely office. <laughs> um, how can people find out more about SSV? Through our website. If you go online, and we've got ev everything there about all our different brewer brew block options that we do, plus we've launched an online shop now as well and we've also just recently started selling SS Brewtech right, yes. kits which yeah. are quite I mean when I see them as well they're a bit like quite professionally made homebrewers kit well they're, they're great aren't they I mean I've yeah. got an SS Brewtech brew bucket you know and I, when I walked in I saw the um, it's the Unitank isn't it yeah I was like oh want that yeah, the, the, yeah the, the, the amount of things well, you that just are, give us a ring yeah. Oh, they, yeah, they go. amount of things that are there on a small unit tank made by SS Brutech I'm like this is sometimes I there was far less instrumentation and like big brewery that I worked with before oh, yeah. than what is on there I've, I've put much bigger brewery yeah. things on things that are uh, not as uh, complicated yeah, as that. So that might be a good option if someone wants to start and just test the market out because you don't need a lot of space to put that in like you'd put it in your garage or something like that yeah um, absolutely i guess with those uni tanks yeah. as well you know you, you can carve it up in in the tank you, yeah. can, you can get your head around working with pressure like that um so it it, it, it will help in uh, just make sure that you've got the correct insurance and then you don't want to blow up a uni tank in your <laughs> yeah. back garden or a garage and things like that so, and then we've got good social media presence as well on twitter and on facebook and, and instagram. instagram as well yeah i think there's something constantly going on there so yeah ask, uh, well yeah. it keeps updated on our latest yep. projects yeah. Well, yeah, thanks for being on the show. And obviously, our, our subscribers and avid listeners will know that you guys have sponsored the podcast. So, thank you for that. And um, yeah, so make sure you, you check out SSV and uh, all the great stuff and uh, the part shop and everything. So, th thanks for being on the show today. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Today's episode of the Hot Forward podcast is sponsored by Niche Solutions. Enzyme 10 is the all in one eco friendly cleaning product from Realzyme available now from Niche Solutions and is proving popular with brewers, cutting costs as it works on biofilms as well as all the organic residues encountered during the production of beer. It's an enzyme-based powdered detergent rather than a traditional caustic-based cleaning solution and it provides an effective weapon against biofilms and brewery contamination. Enzybrew 10 is ideal for the deep, safe cleaning of filter plates, work coolers and maturation boiling and fermentation tanks. As a natural non-caustic detergent, it's safe to use alongside other cleaning products such as those which contain chlorine. And because it works at much lower temperatures, it's more energy efficient. Moving from traditional caustic to Enzybrew 10 is just a sensible solution all round for you and your brewery. 
To place your order today, head over to nichesolutionsgb.co.uk. That's nichesolutionsgb.co.uk. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hi,